Ah, boys. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are. The day has come. The dreaded day has come for Tom where he has to talk about his thoughts and feelings, but I shall put on a brave face for the fans and uh, Jack smiling at me. <laughs> uh, I commend be, you, Tom. I really do. It's, it's going to be a good one for sure. And uh, we got Jim on the call as well, so we don't show any bias around here at the Pipe It Up Pod. But uh, speaking of that, this is the Pipe It Up Podcast. Cue the intro. Fellas, I fell short. Jim Jim beat me fair and square, and now we have to talk about it. And um, it was a great series, though. Definitely definitely something you can hang your hat on either side, I think. Whether you're a Mallards fan, a D-back fan, a Mallard player, a D-back player. Uh, it was it was a phenomenal series, toe-to-toe from start to finish. And um, it, was a, it was a pleasure to be a part of. You know, it was stressful. It was made me anxious. It makes me anxious just thinking about it, but... It was a cool one, you know, one of those series that you look back on as like an instant classic, I'm sure. You feel the same way, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was one of those series that was giving me flashbacks from the World Series last year, just heart racing from the first pitch to the last pitch. So, great series all around. It was, and I was telling guys like at the field like that day, like when like I was like having legit like jitters prior to the pitch, like first pitch, and I hadn't had that in MLW in years because I've been in a playoff game in so long and yeah. the stakes were so high now. So it was it was pretty intense, but you yeah. know it's intense when Tom I had some home jitters. run and is yelling back at the bench oh, yeah. too. You know what I mean? You you saw the emotion for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I, I even knew the result of the series before watching the video, and I still like could not take my eyes off the screen. Like this series was just from top to bottom awesome. Like there were great hits. We obviously saw game one go eight innings in a super windy environment, which just makes no sense, honestly, if you play wiffle ball. <laughs> but um, it was really just like we saw great defensive plays. It was top to bottom, just an awesome series. So, Tom, I apologize, but, you know, I do commend you on um, facing the facts here. And, Gotta face the and facts, putting Jack on a brave life. face. Um, but, Jimmy, uh Obviously, pleasure to have you on as always. Um, How about it, Jim's a Jim's a loyal guest. He really is. He's he's a very popular recurring guest. Um, I mean, he just keeps winning, so we got to keep bringing him <laughs> it's on. Very right? true. It's very true. He earns his <laughs> he earns his keep. He's earned here. his stripes on the Pipe It Out podcast. Um, yep. But if we rewind here, the the Mallards kind of got the best of the D backs in the regular season. Clean sweep, brought out the brooms. Um, didn't go the same way here uh, in the playoffs. So my first question to you, Jimmy, is what kind of strategy changes did you guys make going into the series, if you made any at all? Yeah, I think this was the proudest I've ever been on myself in my short with a ball career here at MLW so far. And just because they swept us early earlier in the season, a big reason why. I mean, I went, I went to work. I did a lot of scouting. My game plan going in was really good. And, I mean, when you execute your game plan, that just makes it feel that much better. I mean, coming in, I was thinking with Robles. Like, Robles owned me the first series. I could not get that guy. I couldn't get a wiffle ball past that guy. But I wanted – my game plan coming in was against him was give him to pound the ball into the ground. Like, we have one of the best defenses in the league. Just let me trust those guys. I know Tom – me and Tom can laugh about it now because Tom hammers the slider, and I know well, that. So I did everything I could to not It was such a chess match out there. It was such a chess match. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing everything I could to stay away from the slider from Tom every now and then mix it in just to keep him off balance. And like I told my guys before, like, this is not a series that we're really supposed to win. You know, I mean, we're flying out Jordan Robles, who's one of the greatest football players of all time. 
Tom's been playing MLW football since he was 10, that kind of thing. Even Caden's been playing competitive football forever. When I told Jonah, she was like, we're just kids who grew up playing in our backyard and love playing together. We want to do, we want to win together. Nothing makes us happier. So super proud of myself for battling it out. I mean, I did everything I could, I felt like, and my teammates just picked me up along the way. So it was a great win for us. So you guys won two games uh, by a combined two runs. Um, and I think that just speaks to how close you know, the pitching duel really was. You were obviously throwing some nasty stuff. But when I watched the video, um, especially towards the end of the series, it kind of seemed like Jordan was just throwing the two seam like every pitch. Mm-hmm. Is that Was that true? Or was he doing a good job of like mixing up other stuff in there? Like what was making it so hard for you guys to get around him? I Obviously, you know, you won the series, but. Yeah, so. Uh, you're right. Like, honestly, that two-seamer was pretty much all he threw. I think, if I remember correctly, I got one slide drop the whole day, and the rest were two-seamers. And what made it so difficult was he was throwing them from different arm slots, and sometimes it moved more, sometimes it moved less, sometimes it dropped more. And those are all things that I guarantee you he was doing on purpose, just being the smart pitcher he is. And a- another big thing is, like, pitching, it's not all about movement, you know? Like, he was hitting corners. He would get us 0-2 by hitting the outside corner and then come inside on us where we felt like we had to protect the plate and chase. So there was very little times where he missed over the heart of the plate. And, I mean, just shout out to him because, like you said, we only scored two runs. So he pitched 14 innings of two-run wiffle ball, so he pitched incredible. Yeah, great performance from Jordan. Um, one thing I wanted to add to that, Jim, too, is because I'm sure the fans kind of saw you mixing in a new pitch for yourself, which was also a two-seam in a sense, you know, it was that overhand screwball that you had going. Is I know we didn't face the Predators this season. You guys didn't face the Predators this season. Um, and up until this point this year, like no one really has thrown that pitch in MLW. That no. pitch is so foreign to everyone in this league. Hence why Ryan Cratch was so dominant this year. So I think the D-backs lineup was facing the same exact problem, seeing that from Jordan. It's just tough to adjust. And we were th- seeing the same thing with Jimmy. You know, he's throwing that to me a lot. And as you guys saw, I was going down looking like often in that first game because it's just, it looks so different out of the hand compared to stuff you're used to seeing rising, sliding, dropping. That pitch that starts outside is just, so foreign to us as hitters in MLW. So, and and obviously I I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, the wind was certainly a factor. Had to be a factor uh, in this series. Do you think that you know how did it, you know Jimmy? First of all, how did that affect your arsenal? And do you think Tom that sort of uh, led Jordan to maybe shorten up kind of his arsenal and stick to kind of locking in on one or two pitches? Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I think I think the first couple innings, it affected me a little bit. I was walking a couple of guys. I felt like my slider was actually moving a lot more than it normally did, so it was hard for me to control. But for the most part, from a pitching standpoint, I actually I didn't think it bothered me too much or really helped me too much. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how Tom feels. Uh, I know, like, as game time approached, it was kind of getting windier and windier out there. It's hard for me to remember. But I do remember thinking to myself, like, this is going to be, like, a huge, huge factor today. And, like, it might be tough for pitchers to find the zone. Um, to my surprise, both guys actually pounded the zone yeah. pretty much all, all night. But no, it was windy. Night, it was it yeah. was whipping out there. It got dark too. That it was got very dark. <laughs> it always seems to every time a game just goes extra innings, it's like you know in the back of your mind, oh, the end of the series is gonna get yeah. dicey. That's, like that's and no classic. one knows. What's, that's like vintage I mean? MLW right there. Um, I I kind of had a curious question for you, Jim. We, we've seen you kind of mix up your arm slots, your delivery timing, your leg kicks. Sometimes it looks like you're almost doing like a ballerina interpretation out there on the mound. <laughs> um, do you like, do you like predetermine 
when and like and how you're going to do those changes or are you kind of just realizing you're doing it as it happens i'd say definitely more i realize i'm doing it as it happens like sometimes i'll just kind of go into my windup and take it from there i mean every now and then i'll predetermine it like to try to hide a pitch or something like that but for the most part once i start my windup i kind of just <laughs> think of it on the spot that's actually hilarious i uh, <laughs> i was also one because i didn't throw very hard in high school like i'm talking about baseball now guys yeah that applies to wiffle ball too when i pitched more um i was pretty predetermined on that like i would say like in high school for example i'd be like okay i'm gonna come set here and i'm just not gonna pitch this ball like i'm gonna sit here until he calls time or like i'm gonna pick off i'm gonna do like two head nods and then throw over like something like that i would always kind of predetermine it and try to think like what's he not expecting so but the freestyle thing's funny it's funny to hear Jim say that <laughs> I just I I love you know how you mix it up and I just think it's funny because I'm like there's no way he's thinking about doing all these weird movements like I feel like sometimes you're just kind of making it up as you go which you know might actually affect the the hitters a decent amount like what do you think Tom how much does that play a factor when you're when you were going up to bat against Jim um Gosh, I wish it was fresher in my head. But to be honest, I can't speak for everybody on the team, but like just remembering it back, so should give you your answer kind of. Yeah. I don't really remember Jim playing too much games with me in terms of his wind-up and deliveries. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I don't know. But I was just very focused on trying to identify the pitch as early as I could because, um, like I said, it was such a chess match and I could ramble about it for hours. But essentially the situation with me against Jimmy was Jimmy knew I liked sliders, right? So, and I knew that, he knew that, so <laughs> I knew he didn't want to throw me a slider, but what Jimmy did a very good job of the first game was like in a favorable count for me, like 2-0, for example, where I should be sitting slider. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to try to like pound something here. Mm-hmm. He would like give me that pitch like inside, and I just wasn't like I'm trying to close off for a screwball, and he's like giving me the pitch that I want to hit. So like it was so hard to figure that out and that balance of Jimmy throwing a slider versus not throwing a slider. So like I was just so focused on identifying pitches out of the hand that the whole lineup thing and different deliveries didn't, I want to say it didn't affect me much, but maybe it did because of the, the numbers. But what do you think, Jimmy? Does that, how much do you think that gives you an edge out there or is it just you having fun? <laughs> well, a little bit of both, but yeah, <laughs> I think it definitely gives me an edge for sure. I mean, my, myself, like, I feel like I'm not a guy, there's guys in the league who definitely have better stuff than me for sure. I think what plays to my my uh my strengths is throwing strikes and throwing guys off time. That's how I make my bread and butter in MLW. So, and I mean to Tom in the Mallards credit, this was the most I've ever game planned for a MLW series in my life. Just knowing how good that offense was, I knew I had to be absolutely perfect for us to win this series. So, it was a chess match. It really was frustrating as a hitter. I think on both sides, but uh, the pitching was phenomenal. I mean, Jordan pitched about as good as I could have asked him to. I think we all know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. for a guy with not a lot of movement. Maybe, Jimmy, you disagree with this. It sounds like you game-planned a lot, but this was not how I saw this series going. Uh, the first time we played the D-backs, like, the scoreboard got lit up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even, like, our extra innings game then, it was, like, 4-4 four to four or something like that, or 5-5. to five. I did yep. not see these 0-0 zero, zero games happening, to be honest with you guys. I thought both sides would be hitting the ball because Jordan doesn't throw with crazy movement. We saw Jimmy well the first time. I figured we'd see numbers on the boards and all the games, but that's not how it went. Definitely didn't go how I thought it was going <laughs> to go either. Um especially after that long emotional game one, you know, for both sides. Um, so Jimmy, I'll go to your, you first, obviously you guys end up squeaking that one out in game one, but how do you sort of reset um, your, you know, how do you reset your focus towards the rest of the series after a game that 
was more than two games actually in MLW. You mm-hmm. know, that was like a triathlon compared to a it was a normal MLW game. So how do you kind of hit the reset button? Yeah, you know, it was hard. I think uh it's kind of where I made my really only mistake in this series is I kind of let my foot off the gas pedal. I probably took too big of like a sigh of relief, you know, and then in the first inning the Mallards really got to me. And the the first homer that Tom hit was just it was a slider, it was a meatball right down the middle and Tom made me pay. Tom's second home run was actually a pretty good pitch that Tom hit out. It was yeah, screwball cool. inside, and I don't really know how he hit that one out. And then uh, Caden, again, another mistake, slider up. So those guys made me pay. And while for the most spot, most part of the whole entire night I was hitting my spots, that first inning was really the only time where I was starting to miss my spots a lot, and they made me pay. So it was hard, but the Mallards did a really good job. I mean, in the eight-inning marathon game, they kept their heads up, and they came right out, and they scored early and scored often. I can't I can't imagine the, you know, the energy in the Mallards dugout was was super high after that game one loss, but you guys came out firing. What would you had to have said something? What'd you, what'd you do? What'd you do, Tom? Oh, Jack. Um, I mean, it's like stressful, right? Like I said, I was like, you know, it was an anxious day. It was stressful. It was high intensity and you know, not, I'm talking like those games were happening within five minutes of each other, like back to back right away. Um, but we knew our backs were against the wall. Um, nothing to lose at that point. We had seen Jimmy so much. It was like, you know, don't get frustrated. Like keep having, keep battling basically. That's what I was thinking, and it just seemed like, um, you know, something had to give. Mm-hmm. Something had to give there, and luckily I could come through for the team a couple times, and then Caden got one as well, but it was frustrating. That first game was just eight innings of, like, I mean, it was miserable for being a Mallard. Yeah. Like, we were so, so, so frustrated, and I was, you know, just irritated with myself. Like, you know, I, there was a couple pitches that I had chances at. Um, as good as Jimmy did pitch, like, I thought there was a couple I could have put over, put a couple foul, and it was just frustrating. So, um that first inning for us was like a, just a huge, like, thank goodness, like, yeah. we can score type thing. Because we've been, not so much Jordan and Caden, but, like, I've been a part of those games in the match where we're not getting anything going on offense when I'm pitching, and I know it's the most frustrating thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I was just happy to give Jordan some run support right away in that second game. I think I saw the the relief come out. You know? <laughs> I, I saw it, and I saw it, Tom. But um, I was kind of thinking watching Jimmy after – you know, they put a couple of balls over the fence on you that um, you might make a pitching change because we've seen that you've got some very capable arms, you know, behind you on the team. Um, but you didn't change after that inning, but I think you changed Jonah in the next inning. Is that correct? Jo- Jonah pitched. I went back out for the second and uh, Jonah pitched the third. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So walk me, walk me through that thought process there. Yeah, you know, when we were down 4 nothing in the second inning, I still figured I'd go out there and see if I can throw up a zero to give the guys a chance. But by the time it was the third inning and we were down 4 nothing, and we weren't really weren't seeing Robles at all, I was thinking, let's put Joan out on the mound. He's a lefty. Give him a break from seeing me. Let's set up for game three now, and hopefully that'll just throw him off just enough where they're kind of off me now. Joan is a slow-throwing lefty. Mix up their timings, mix up the way they see the ball, that kind of thing. So at the end of the day, I think it worked out pretty well. Do you yeah. think that worked out pretty well? Uh, I mean, Obviously, it's, the numbers speak, but like... No, it's it's a smart play, um, and that's where I want to get my my uh, my team to next year is having the confidence in those guys in the late innings and then in the important innings like that. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I just didn't get enough um, looks and not enough reps from a lot of my number two arms this year to really have the confidence in that guy to go out there and to take off Jordan, who's like rolling. But even that one inning break, that one at bat break, I think is is important just to throw something off and just to even give Jimmy a break and a mental like 
because you're so dialed in when you're pitching. Mm-hmm. Wiffle ball, it's pretty much all on you out there. Not so much anymore. The defenses have been crazy, but especially a few years ago, like it was all like the outfielders were just standing there half the time. And if a ball went into play, it was like a single. So just like a mental break for Jim, I'm sure was also helpful for him to kind of just decompress for 10, 15 minutes and, and let Jonah throw an inning. And, and Jonah did the job clutch. Yeah. I mean, you can't say enough about, you know, Jimmy, obviously we're giving you a bunch of compliments, but Jonah coming in, pitching well, um, didn't necessarily have a fantastic series at the plate, but I thought Shima was very impressive, uh, you know, yet again, coming up in the big moments. Um, we saw the emotion from Jim, but that series or the, uh, that move to put Jonah in seemed to work obviously because you ended up throwing a perfect game, right? In game mm-hmm. three. Um, how many times has that happened in the playoffs at MLW? In the playoffs, it might only be two. I'm trying to yeah. remember. I know, and that's like totally with an asterisk because Kyle threw a perfect game, I think, in 2010. Like, oh, right. When it was Wildcats <laughs> versus Eagles. Like, that was, little sister. I think that was the first like modern day uh, MLW perfect game in the playoffs like since the Meadows. But don't quote me on that, guys. There could be one that I'm forgetting about, but that's as far as I know. It's not easy to do. No, it's not easy to do. It was very impressive. Um, what, what change, did anything kind of change in your approach from the earlier games in the series or was it just like same stuff and Mallards just weren't getting around to you? Yeah. I mean, again, I got to give so much credit to my defense. Like if you look at the, the first play of that game, Robles hits a missile off of my ankle and the ball yeah. just rolls right <laughs> to Jonah and Jonah dies on the base. Like it's just guys being in the right place at the right time. But for the most part, again, it was just about hitting spots, like pitching, being a good pitcher, like doing your job. And that's, like I said, the most proud of myself I've been all year. We're talking about – there's been a lot of a lot of great talk about guys like Cratch and Robles this year, and rightfully so. But I like to still think that, like, in the big games, the big spots, I'm, I'm the guy you want on the team, you know? Like, one nothing game, perfect game with the solo home run to send the guys to SoFi Stadium. So just super proud of myself and super proud that I was able to bounce back after the Mallards put up four on me kept my head up and just readjusted and retooled and got focused and ready to go again. That's why they call him Himothy in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Himothy. Yeah, so, like, can we rewind for a second back yeah. to when Jonah was pitching? Yeah. Jim, that play you made when oh, Jonah was pitching, dude, literally one of the greatest plays of all time. This was my this reaction league, I when I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. That was insane. Okay, well... So when it happened in the moment, like I was shocked too, but of course I'm not seeing instant replays when I'm there. I'm not seeing instant replays of this play until two days ago. Right. So anyways, um, but Jim, I swear, like even watching it back, it almost looks fake. It <laughs> does, dude. <laughs> it looks like that ball was on a string to Shima. And yeah. like for all the baseball guys out there, maybe I'll show like a comparison on, on the Instagram clips, but fundamentally speaking, Jim, like you didn't have the most like traditional approach there you did with your route your route was kind of inside out you're supposed to kind of trail off towards third base mm-hmm. dugout when you do that which you did perfectly but like as someone who's taught to do this like so when you field the ball barehanded like that when you're charging in you're supposed to field it as your left foot is planted on the ground right yes. okay and then when you throw it it's when your right foot hits the ground that's like your leverage so right. it's left foot when you field right okay. foot when you throw and I'm telling you, Jim did this because the ball's Completely so light opposite. and stuff. No, but the ball's just <laughs> oh. so light and quick. Like, Jim basically fielded it on his left and just flicked his wrist immediately, all, like, on one stride. <laughs> it literally looks fake. I'm it telling you, unreal. it does not look real. I was editing the TikTok today for that clip. It doesn't look real. It's incredible how fast that ball was thrown. Just right to Shima in the chest. <laughs> like, you got Caden by a step and a half. It wasn't even close. It was not base. close. It was not close. That thing was a it was bullet. Unbelievable. It was an absolute bullet. So, props to you. Sorry, I had to bring that up. Sports Center top 10. 
No, I'm... I got to be honest. When I first made that play at the medals and everybody was going crazy, like I didn't think it was that good of a play. Like if you recall the play last year in the World Series against Jackson, I made like a similar play. Mm-hmm. And everybody and that one like felt cooler. But this one I made, like when I watched the replays, I was like, oh wow. I was like, that that's probably the best play I've made in this league. It was it was pretty cool. Well, that's that's I mean, like props the... again to Shima. Because like you yeah, said, that I was a dart. Speed at him. You guys are so good at that. <laughs> Um, I, I think if you hit, if I was playing in that spot and you hit a similar ball to me, you could probably give me a hundred tries to do that same thing. And I'd probably like tear my hamstring on like the 95th try and never be able to do that. I mean, I probably wouldn't be able to, but with a baseball, like I said, I could, cause I practice it, but I don't really practice that play playing on the right side of the infield at all. And wiffle ball, it's just not usually enough time, but Jim came racing up and I would, I would, insanity. I mean, I mean, we could maybe debate this, but the baseball diamond is obviously bigger, mm-hmm. so you got to throw it farther, and it's heavier. But to to grab a wiffle ball off the ground and like you don't necessarily know how it's awkward. You're gripping, yeah. you're gripping it like that thing can go anywhere. It you can. know what I mean? And that, that was gone a million. That was like places. the straightest wiffle ball throw I've ever <laughs> seen. Fake. You know what so I mean? So did your throw down to second base when you caught that pop up in the NLDS? I mean, those two plays yeah. right there are like two plays we've never seen before. Both just seeds, unbelievable yeah. stuff. But- that was my cool. favorite thing is in like in like the third clip of that, like the third time Kyle shows it, you see Jonah mouth like, oh my gosh, like as the yeah, ball's dude, being thrown. Wild. I was trying to avoid Jonah too, like on the play, because Jonah was obviously going for the ball too. Yeah. So that's kind of what the route was like. But yeah, it was <laughs> oh, the route was good. But yeah, unbelievable play. Um, I think we'll see that near Jim's got a couple good plays this year. He does. I think we can all remember a few. Um, not gonna name them, but I think you guys know them. And uh, I think that one we just saw will find its way near the top of the uh, top 10 plays once the, the year closes. But we still have a World Series to play, which always seems to bring some tremendous defense out in everybody. So, I wanted to ask you guys, um, you know, we're watching the video and Kyle's like, we're going fin- to finish the series another day. And he's like, just kidding. We're going to play into the dark. <laughs> uh, so from like from both parties. One, I would, I could see from the Mallards, maybe, you know, you guys just came off a big game two win, kind of wanted to keep the momentum. Um, but like what, Jim, what was kind of your, is that kind of why you guys wanted to keep going? Like, cause it seemed like both parties wanted to keep going. Uh, I think actually well, for both teams, even probably more so for me, but it sounds like for the D-backs too, it's more so just logistics, Jack, of getting everybody back there to play again. Really? And we were on a time window because we had to get to SoFi on X date to play the World Series. So we couldn't just delay this series for weeks on end and not yeah. finish. So uh, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, like Thompson, I think that's the biggest part. Like for one, I know it would have been really hard to play again without Robles. And for me personally, even though that helps us tremendously, I would have felt terrible if we beat the Mallards in a must-win game without Robles. Like that would have been the worst thing ever. But yeah, for us too, like, I had school. Shima's got work. Jonah lives two hours away for school right now. So, yeah, for the most part, it was just logistics. Yeah, we really only had, like, a couple days in th- – We okay, if – say we did leave. I'm not going to say it would have been impossible. It would have been very difficult to do, yeah. but it would have been tough. Maybe improbable. It, but, like, we seem to make those things happen, you know? Yeah. But I was like, you know, we have – like, it is not pitch black yet. Let's try to just at least start the game. Let's just not give up right now. You know what I mean? As you guys can see, by like the third inning, it was getting pretty dark. If we would have done a fourth inning, we would have for sure had to have like car lights on for sure. We kind of agreed to that as a te- as both teams. Like, okay, after this inning is completely done, we'll go to lights to make it even on both sides. Mm-hmm. But we both were just thinking, okay, let's at least try to finish the game. You know what I mean? Let's just not not try because it'll be such a nightmare to get back to the field again. So yeah, yeah. So the Diamondbacks end up moving on, mm-hmm. um, getting their chance to go to SoFi. Pretty sure 
little birdie told me, or maybe it was on the podcast that Jim is not a big flight guy, not a big plane guy. So you'd be correct. Are you, are you pretty nervous for this trip? I'm assuming you guys flew out there, right? Yeah. I mean, flight, I, I feel like I'm going to get better. It's just, I don't know. Well, I said, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why flights like get to me. I don't know. I just, I, it's not that I hate flights. It's just for the most part, like if you can drive, I'd rather drive that type of thing. But yeah, hopping on a flight to get to SoFi. I, I can't complain. Is, is, it, worth is it, it? Is it a comfort thing or is it a nervousness thing of like the plane crashing? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a nervousness thing more than anything, but obviously like, I don't know. Planes don't crash that much. So I don't know why. I'm always... So my mom is always as, as most moms are of course. concerned when you travel and whatnot. And you know, whenever I drive, you know, on the freeway to go see my friends or whatever, like it's, it's like, okay, like see you later. But then when I, I'm flying, she's like, okay, give me your flight number. Let me know when you board. Let me know when you land, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I was like, number one, if you see a plane crash on the news and you don't hear from me, that probably means I'm dead. Unfortunately. Yep. Number two, the probability of me getting into an accident in the air is is significantly lower when yeah. I'm driving around. So you should be happy I'm flying to this place and not yeah. driving. You don't freak out when I drive to 7-Eleven. Exactly. But, yeah. but my probability of getting significantly harmed is much, much <laughs> higher than when I get into a plane. So especially a commercial, like a commercial flight like that. So uh, we got a rematch in the World Series at SoFi. Cobra's Diamondbacks. Cobras won the first series in the regular season, two to one. Um, Jim, what did you kind of learn from that series about the Cobras team? And, you know, what's going to be, you know, obviously don't give away your whole strategy here on the podcast, but um, what are maybe a couple keys for the Diamondbacks going into the World Series? Yeah, you know, I think the big things are, like you said, we already played them. And I think what kind of works to our benefit is that we saw Sawyer for like 11 innings in Vermont. And we saw Barron for a good four innings in Vermont, while for the most part, like they didn't see all of our pitchers. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have to use Jonah. I didn't have to throw as many games or innings as normal. So that kind of thing. But for the most part, just throw strikes, trust our defense. Like I feel very confident going into this series. I feel like the Mallards were the best team in the league this year. We just beat them. I think the Eagles are right around the same level as the Cobras. So, and that, even me personally, like I'm pitching right now the best I've pitched in my MLW career, the second half of playoff run. Shout out to the Patreon. Go subscribe there. Where I did my World yes, Series Jim. preview. But I talked I talked about it a little bit. Like the second half and the playoffs combined, even though I really struggled in the first half, second half in the playoffs, my ERA this year is .96. So it's the hottest I've ever been. Obviously, Barron's been tremendous all year. It's going to be an absolute battle. But going in, just stay confident, have fun. Just keep, the bat, keep swinging the bats, put the ball in play, good things happen. What do you think's been the biggest difference for you to get on that hot streak? Just throwing more strikes and trusting my defense. That's honestly it. At the beginning of the year, I was playing around too much. I was messing around when there was hitters who I was a little bit, you know, trying to be careful with. I was a little bit too careful and just walking guys and putting them on base, that kind of thing. So when you have the best defense in the league behind you, it's truly a blessing, and you got to let those guys help you out and make the plays. And that's what I kind of realized in the second half. Throw strikes, baby. Just pump it, pump iron. Right? I always pump say aluminum. the best pitching wiffle ball, best pitching wiffle ball, strike one. It really Love is. Love that. It is. Um, I think a big key in this series too could be um, actually like the offenses. Um, to my surprise, like in either the ALCS or the NLCS, we did not see a whole lot of runs scored at all. Um, mm-hmm. Some great pitching from Barron, Cratch, Norp, Robles. I expect that to continue in the World Series. Um, so really, and, I, and I've wanted to use this word in the past, guys, in these past pods, but I was trying to stay away from it because I didn't want to like drop any spoilers to my own series and like my own personal thoughts and trying to keep that you know separate from being a podcast host. 
but just executing. That's like my new word because a lot of things can happen leading up to a series, leading up to a playoff run, whatever it may be. But you just really have to take that moment, your moments, your you know, your three, four at bats, whatever it is, and you just need to execute at the plate. Look at the Phillies, right, in the MLB. They were a team that barely snuck into the playoffs this year. And then when they got to the postseason, they just started to have great at bats, you know, yep. home runs, extra base hits with guys on base. And when you execute, you win. I mean, it doesn't matter if you were the best team in the league coming in, Cobras, one seed in the AL versus the five and ten D backs. The teams that execute in the big moments are the teams that are going to win the series. So that's that's my buzzword for the year, and that's what I'm bring into 2023 with me for the Mallards is just got to execute so all year long. So you're kind of uh, expecting the pitchers to show similar stuff to what, you know, similar trends be, to what they've been doing. I think it'll doing. be a solo shot in game one, a solo shot in game two. Like that's going to decide mm-hmm. the series, man. I really think it is. Yeah. I, I've been really impressed overall by the pitching this year. I think league wide, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, I think it's more than just the addition of, like we mentioned, that two-seam pitch that everyone seems to throw now. I feel like everyone has sort of stepped up their game a little bit, um, and I, I don't really expect anything less in the World Series. So I, would I, ex- I agree with it'd you. It'd be interesting to see. I would guess that league averages go up next year, like overall, just because people have seen the screwball more. But yeah. What do you think, Jim? You're kind of the baseball expert there on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, we know the screwball also you know, plays with that radar gun a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, we all kind of know it. Like, you can throw it a little bit harder than most pitches, but mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree with Tom. The more you see a pitch, the more you're going to get used to it. And I'd be surprised if averages don't get up or go up next year. See. But yeah. Yeah, Jim was saying the radar gun, like, messes with that. And I bet you you guys at home wonder, like, why, like, why does, you know, Robles' screwball or Ryan's screwball look so fast, but why is Jimmy getting a warning then on this, like, riser he throws or slider he throws? And once again, the radar gun is not moving, and it's pretty much as foolproof as if a system was we can have. Shout out to Pocket Radar. You know, it's not a cheap system by any means. It's an expensive radar gun. Mm-hmm. And um, so what's being measured is the, you know, it, it's recording and documenting the fastest velocity it detects within a time frame. And so it's pretty much with the wiffle ball is out of the hand velocity, right? And for a baseball, you know, a baseball, because of like the higher, it's like five ounces where a wiffle ball is like an ounce probably or not mm-hmm. even it's heavier it kind of maintains its momentum better so like the speed like from the pitcher's hand to the catcher's glove is not going to change a whole lot but with a wiffle ball it will slow down on its way to the plate because of its it's got holes in it and it's a piece of plastic right. so it'll slow down so it's displaying the out of the hand velocity so yes the pitch like by the time it reaches the strike zone it's not actually like 72 miles per hour it's a little slower than that in reality mm-hmm. but what i think makes the screwball this is my theory read slower is due to something called the cosine effect so what that is, is when you don't have your radar gun pointed directly at the target moving either away from it or towards it, it'll display a slower reading than what's actually there. Does that make sense? Mm. So a pitch, mm. like most pitches that are thrown, like sliders or risers, for example, are thrown, like released from a righty kind of directly towards, out of the hand towards that strike zone. Mm-hmm. Whereas everyone throws a screwball kind of from the side and it kind of aims towards like the lefty batter's box more. Mm. So it doesn't start out of the hand its fastest point directly towards that strike zone okay so that's what i think causes it to read you know probably what do you think jim like two to three miles per hour slower i'd say so yeah so, so you, you can throw the screwball more. a little firmer just that's just what we've seen so in theory then could jonah being like a lefty just kind of like pumping sliders it, it shouldn't that's not so so no because it shouldn't matter if you're righty or lefty because the gun's place like directly behind home plate directly shooting at the pitcher uh-huh. straight on so if you're righty lefty it shouldn't matter but for whatever reason the way that like the way that the holes to the le- 
I, I don't know how to describe this better, but the way the holes to the left pitches are thrown, so if you're right-handed hitter and the holes are facing left, those pitches all read slower than holes to the right, right, Jim? That's just a fact. Yeah. It's and, just how it is. And, and Jack, like you said, I kind of thought the same thing, like that Jonah being a lefty, like that would be an advantage for us, but I've seen Jonah throw a slider and it registers just like any other slider, so that's what confused me a lot at first, too. Huh. It's, it's got something to do with either the, the, the path of the ball or the, the way the mass of the ball is, but when righties are throwing with their you know, with the holes facing to the left of the ball, it definitely reads a little faster. The, that pitches that come to mind are the Dallas Allen or drop ball, Ryan Cratch screwball, Robles screwball, um, all that kind of stuff. Compared to a riser or slider, like a Kyle Schultz riser will read faster than um, like a Cratch like screwball. It could also it could also have to do with how the pitcher is throwing the ball. So for whatever whatever reason, on a slider, let's say they might need to get a little bit more arm behind it and a little bit more wrist behind it. And like that creates that faster initial velocity. Yeah. That could also be a factor. I don't, I'm not a scientist. I'm just trying to hypothesize here. Very interesting. That is science right there, folks. You just got a science <laughs> lesson. Well, no, but it's been, it's been, a, I think that's been kind of not put into the public light a lot this year, in yeah. the league, but definitely like behind the scenes. Yeah. If you guys, I think like big fans will notice like some pitches don't look that fast, but read as a warning. Yep. So like, I've noticed you, you that should, a little yeah, bit. So you, I, 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 would, I will tell. say the I will say the Ryan Cratch screwball looks like it's going like a hundred on mm-hmm. the video sometimes. But there's like no he's, there's no other way I can really standardize yeah. it unless you had some like elaborate laser system to to measure like time from hand to zone, which would be insanity. Like the zone, the the radar is like we're doing the best with what we got right now, and that's like not yeah. even that. Like it's a pretty good resource. Yeah, it's a radar it thing. is. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's yeah. not much we. It's much better than just like saying that looks too fast. Like we have a number, we have a system. It's as standardized. It's as standardized as it could be. So yeah. you can't really complain about. It. You just got to deal with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There you have it, folks. The industry, you know, tricks and trades. They're out there, right on the table. Mm-hmm. Um. But like you said, you just got to adapt, right? That's the way it's going to be. That's my other you word this adapt. year, adapt. Execute, so, execute and, adapt. and adapt. Because I was joking with Caden at UFs actually about, he was saying how like he adjusted really well pitching at UFs. I was like, what did I teach you all year? You got to be able to adapt. Because you just, you only get so many at bats to execute in those key moments. And you got to be able to adapt to that guy's arsenal. So if you can execute and you can adapt, you're going to be successful. Tom Coughlin, 2022. I love it. I love <laughs> it. All right. Well, you got anything else for Jim? Uh, the Zoom's going to end here. Yeah, I know. Well, in a few moments. But no, congratulations, Jim. Great series. Uh, it was a battle, man. It was a battle, and I'm excited for the D-backs and the Cobras rematch. Should be a doozy. Um, I'm sure we'll talk to you throughout the World Series as that continues, if you'd, if you'd be willing to join us again here over the next few weeks. And uh, besides that, any messages you got for the fans? Yeah, you know, just subscribe to the Patreon. Like I said, I got good content going out every Monday. Let's go. Tom? Great season for you and your Mallards. Your bounce back here was awesome at the plate. Glad to see it. You guys will definitely be back next year. Robles has figured it out on the mound. It's going to be a scary 2023 team. So we'll see you. Jim, you know what I was thinking today or when I watched the video back? I was like, what? I was like, man, you know what? I, I just got norped. Like, you're no other way to say it. <laughs> he just bought his t shirt. I, I just got norped, man. I really did. But no, nah, great series, Doc. Yep, yep. All right, congratulations, Jim. Won't be the last, Tom. Hey. Oh, oh man, we'll see you. We'll see you again real soon, Jim. Real soon. Yes, sir. Jack, pleasure. Always. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All righty. Thanks again to Jim for joining us once again on the Pipe It Up podcast. Um, one more time, my condolences, Tom. I think it was a heck of a season for the Mallards. I think you guys, you know, most improved team for sure, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robles is a stud. You got a lot to look forward to in the future. Um, I think your your post game post game speech kind of summed it up. You know, it's it stung. It stung at <laughs> the stung time, bad. but like you said earlier, you got a lot to hang your hat on. So uh, I we, think at the end of the day, you should be proud. We did. It did sting pretty bad. I mean, you know, everyone wanted to win that series, both both leagues, both everybody. Um, but. Yeah, like I tried to remove myself from the moment and just say, like, you know, it was a huge step in the right direction for, you know, our whole entire team. Um, you know, we were kind of the laughing stock of the league in 2021. So to be right there for a World Series appearance was pretty cool. And while it did suck losing, um, you know, I guess the only thing that helped me sleep that night was just like, okay, if we win next year, it'll be that much sweeter. You know what I mean? So true. So, and we'll probably be somewhere cooler than SoFi. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but probably should get to work on that right now. Um, yeah, you got to get on the phones. Yeah, I was. I was just dis- working on it. Uh, <laughs> I was. I was disappointed for sure. Um, you know, you think back on like little moments, like you know, I should have did this, should have did that. There was pitches you missed, like, and I, I totally forgot about like there was a clip that was shown in game three, second inning. Jimmy gave me another slider, like right down the middle, and I was just under it, missed it. So just stuff like that. So, but once again, that's why my word was execute. You just have to execute. And it's so, so hard to be clutch like that, but that's what it takes, man. There's only like one year that I can think of in my career where like me and my teammates were executing like in the big moments and it was 2017 when we won it all. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes to win. That's what it takes, man. It is what it is. Um, you guys got 2023 to look forward to now. Once again, good luck to the Diamondbacks against the Cobras at SoFi. It's going to be a heck of a series. But right now, we're going to jump into our In Other News segment. Um, We did our first one a couple weeks ago, and we're bringing it back for you guys. Um, People seem to like it. We liked it. I think I got a good one to share with you. Um, Hit me with it. So I think that uh, most people in America, aside from maybe a few folks in Texas, were probably rooting for the Phillies uh, in this World Series. I think we could safely say that. I I know I kind of was. I have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, but um, what a lot of you guys probably didn't know is that the Astros may have just saved the U.S. economy. So so stay with me here for a second. Okay. Oh, I think I know where this is going, actually. I heard about this. So one of my buddies uh, tipped me off to this, actually, and we were talking, you know, stocks, economy, things like that, and he's like, well, you know, if the Phillies win, like, we're screwed, right? And I'm like, (laughs) what? He's like, yeah, look it up. Like every time the Phillies do good in the World Series, the financial markets just cr- like yeah, I go heard, I heard terrible. This. So this is pretty crazy. And uh, here's a little bit of uh, literature for you, Tom. This wow, is the this, this is the is article I printed out from the Wall Street Journal. So Jeez, Louise, this is, is not this like my own research, by the way. I just found this article, but so this this started in 1929, which any of you history or finance buffs know that that was a big year. The Philadelphia Athletics actually won the championship. This was before the World Series. um, And this was right before the major stock crash and the Great Depression, uh, which we all know ensued that. Um, 
again in 1980, the Phillies won their first World Series. And the recession that ensued lasted all the way until 1983. And in 1983, the Phillies made it again to the World Series, but they lost. And then the recession ended. So there's this like inverse correlation between the financial markets and the Phillies doing good in baseball. It's, it's like incredible. So then when do you think was the next time the Phillies, well, you probably know when the next time the Phillies won the World Series is. I mean, if, even if I didn't know, I know the housing market, 08, so. 08, Phillies won the World Series. Mm-hmm. Housing market crashed. Recessionary times followed. I mean, this is just like, this was mind-blowing to me. And I thought it was funny because baseball players and fans are kind of notoriously superstitious. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, like, I have to imagine that there were some Phillies fans that, you know, have been feeling maybe the heat of the economy right now because it already hasn't been doing very well. We're already in the trenches. Yeah, we're already in the trenches. And I have to think there's some Philly fans out there that were just like, all right, it's all right that we didn't win. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, just maybe the economy will turn around. Well, so, well, someone was telling me that, like about the whole Phillies and the economy thing. Yeah. If I read the same article. And I was thinking like, I think they're going to win then because like it's already kind of known. Like everyone's right. saying the worst is yet to come for this economy right now. So I was like, they're going to win. It's going to happen again. Like, but maybe if it doesn't turn to garbage, worse than it already is, we have the Houston Astros to thank. And what a what a sports story that would be if the Houston Astros that everyone has denounced for being cheaters mm-hmm. actually end up saving America by winning the World Series. <laughs> what is what no they would make a movie. They could make a movie about that. That'd be incredible. But it's like the inverse co- correlation is crazy. So this guy points out the fact that um in nineteen sixty four, the Phillies it's like one of the most famous collapses in baseball history. Like they basically had a world series berth, like kind of locked up like playoff Mm -hmm. berth locked up and just, you know, crumbled late in the year Mm -hmm. and it didn't end up making it that year. Stock market was up 14 and a half percent. Oh man. So his, this guy's grandfather who's like pointing all this stuff out. So this goes even past baseball. Mm -hmm. So his grandfather, you know, made this super in-depth model that was sarcastic for you guys listening. So basically he has figured out that, or I say figured out, but his, his model basically says in the Super Bowl, when a team from the original National Football League, you know, before they merged with the Americans, so basically NFC yeah. versus AFC. Yeah, so, so when an NFC team wins, stocks generally go up. Okay. And when an AFC team wins, it's generally like a bearish sign for stocks that they'll go down. So this one hasn't really been too accurate in recent years, Mm -hmm. but out of 55 Super Bowls, it's had a 75% success rate on just predicting if it's going to go up or down. It's wild. So this is good news for Phillies fans. Although the Phillies lost, we are riding high with the Eagles right now. Correct. Only undefeated o. team. Mm-hmm. They they are the only undefeated team, first time in franchise history, mm-hmm. right? That they've been eight and zero. One of the original eight teams in the NFL. They're from the NFC. They're looking pretty good for a Super Bowl run. So maybe the Phillies, you know, could also help with the Astros in in turning the economy around. Okay. Potentially. 
I, mean, I would love to see the economy turn around. <laughs> I got a lot of money tied up in Ethereum and Bitcoin that's just going to nothing. It, it didn't necessarily work. A lot of money in the stock market going in... down. My 401k is <laughs> headed to the ground. It's just like, nothing's going right for me, Jack. I need something to turn here. We're getting out of school. If any of you listeners have a 401k, do yourself a favor and don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. I'm getting letters every month from my financial group, and it's just, it's red. Just don't look it's at it. It's just going down. I'm putting money in, and I'm, I have less there than I started with. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Where's this money going? Uh, I just, this this story just like, I just couldn't believe it when my buddy was like telling me this, and then I was like reading about it, and it was just all true. It's just funny how the world works. I think there was a quote. You got to read that article, because I think there was a quote in it where one of the guys who I think was maybe a Phillies fan. And he was like, it kind of makes sense because if the Phillies are good, there's just something off in the cosmos. You know what I mean? <laughs> All so. these Phillies fans they're they're Everyone in Philly, when I was down there last week, they all, I feel like are crying about their city and their sports teams and how they're like, they're like yeaning is yeaning a word yearning yearning. There you go. And they're like, we got to bring back the vocab. Yeah, I maybe. know. Some, I actually had a parent <laughs> request that, by the way. Oh, um, they liked it? Someone liked the vocab, yeah. Nice. And I was like, I'm not qualified enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> qualified enough to do that. But anyway, uh, yeah, the Phillies, they're actually, the people in Philly are all like yearning for a championship. And I'm like, wait, Eagles are 8 0. They won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. The Phillies didn't win that long ago. Um, their MLS team was in the championship on Saturday. I'm pretty sure they collapsed, unfortunately, and lost yeah. somehow. But anyway, I'm like, this town is flourishing. Yeah, yeah, they have root for come move to Detroit and talk to me. Yeah, right now. I was just gonna say, you know, strap up your boots but, and walk over to Detroit uh, know, and see, yeah, what, we see are, what being a sports fan is down all bad about. right now. But Lions won this weekend. But uh, that's why I want to lead this conversation with Jack. You know, I'm a well educated man, uh, pretty smart guy, I must say. And uh, you know what I learned in stats class, Jack, is that correlation does not mean does not infer. Correlation does not infer causation. There yes, you go. Yes, that's true. Um. I did also learn that in stats class. We might have actually had stats class together. Probably. Did we yeah. have stats together? I don't know. I've taken stats a couple remember. times. In college, I had to take it too. Um, no, I do remember that. Uh, I don't think that the Phillies actually have an impact on America's economy. Well, now you just ruined the article for everybody. But it is That's pretty... like telling people Santa's not real. You got to keep the spirit <laughs> alive, baby. Come on. Right. Give me something to believe in. That was acting. I do think that the Phillies uh, have a major, 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 major major impact on the u.s economy um so although the cheating astros may have won maybe not all is lost okay fair enough yeah fair enough i had one uh, topic i wanted to bring to this uh segment as well jack did you see that the guys from one of the guys from dude perfect uh kobe cotton got to go to space really through like you know blue origin that's bezos's yeah. company mm-hmm. yeah he was fortunate enough to um go to space a couple months ago i think um, like through a sponsored chair that they got invited to. And I actually watched it live, like when it happened. And I was like, I, mean, I could kind of hear his voice like over the microphones, but it was, it was tough, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that the audio is not the best, but they actually like did a full fledged like production on it and did a video really would recommend people watch that. It was like 13 minutes and it was just super cool as they like kind of recounted their journey as YouTubers. And then like just having someone sent into outer space is like one of the first people, one of the first civilians to like become an astronaut. Yeah. It's pretty sick. So what was the full length of the trip was it just like 12 minutes i think but like you're in zero gravity like you are in space so you like so much shorter than i would have guessed yeah you you go up um in the what's it called i just watched this video uh something i don't know the space the rocket ship yeah and then like it boosts you up um of the atmosphere and then it detaches the little like capsule where the people are it was like six passengers 
and then they like unbuckle they're in zero gravity and he has like pictures you can see like the curvature of the earth like you're way up there you're in space it's completely blackout and then they strap back in and send them down and it's it's crazy but just experiencing that would be insane especially like something off of youtube i mean that's crazy yeah would you i don't know take it take a dip into space i don't know if, you, if the funds allowed it or i, I don't know I, I know i so i took an aerospace class in college um and i did like papers on this about like uh commercial space travel oh and it's super expensive first of all like quarter million yeah it's per so person. expensive but anyway i don't really know it'd be a cool experience for sure but i know i've it's the probability it's not like getting on an airplane right like where you're very safe mm-hmm. i don't think that's the same there we're still like in a very early state. We're there's very like advanced and smart engineers on these kind of things, but um, there's definitely a lot that can go wrong. Um, so it's a little sketchy. Have you it, ever it, seen it, a it rocket ship take off in person? Yeah. No, I've never seen a launch in person. That maybe you should just go do that first. That's that the stepping is stone. An awesome experience. I was able. Um, I want to say it was like 2000 seven, maybe. I think it was called the Discovery or something. It yep. launched out mm-hmm. of Florida. And I got to see it take off and it was so cool. It was, it was like, I, that I was, you know, kind of young. I was probably nine years old or so maybe at that point. I still remember it though. And it was like, that's burned into my memory. That's sweet. It was cool. I do think, I think like going up into space for me at this point would be like more like I'd be a thing where I'd be so nervous. I'd be like, just thankful that it's over with. I wouldn't really enjoy it that much. I'd be so just like anxious about it. Um, You probably wouldn't enjoy it as much like in the moment but then like after over. the fact you'd be like wow i actually did go that's to space. Like a lot of cool you know things I mean? in life unfortunately but yeah it would have been yeah. crazy but yeah i do think space is cool for sure i love like laying out a great time for me is in the summer after like having a bonfire up north you go out and lay on the dock and just look up at the sky just realize how small you are it's cool are you good at like picking out constellations no. i can find the big dipper it's about it you know can you find the north star that's part of the big dipper isn't it it's not part of the Big Dipper, but if you find the Big Dipper, it can it can basically lead you to the North Star. Uh, I didn't take yeah. any astronomy classes, unfortunately. But I I did take one in college. No, Noah took one. My roommate that was on a test. I had to do that. Yeah, identify the North Star. Well, he always is talking about that kind of stuff too. Yeah. But, um, I w- I guess I'm not into it. From a you can get these cool. More so just like I think curious. Yeah, I think it's called like uh, Skylight or I think it's called Skylight. Yeah, I've seen those. That's really cool. Yeah, you can basically put your phone up to the sky and it just shows you, it just maps out all yeah, the constellations for cool. you. It's pretty cool. cool. Seeing a shooting star is nothing like that. Nothing like How it. many have you seen? Dozens. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even but it's exciting every say time. dozens. I would say maybe 10. Eh, that sounds like a well, lot. Actually, actually, I saw a full-fledged meteor shower one time, which was cool. Ooh, did you like know it was coming though? Yeah, so we planned yeah. it. We w- I went up north with Noah and his family, and they're like, "Oh, on Saturday it's gonna be a meteor shower." Like they're they're broadcasting that. So we went out onto the beach, like of Lake Michigan, and like laid down and looked up, and for like an hour, it was like two shooting stars a minute. It was sick. That's awesome. It's, yeah, it's meteor shower, so it was meteors, but they look like shooting stars. In yeah, the sky. that's cool. That's really cool. That stuff's awesome. Long story short, Billy's doing well equals America's economy doing bad. Also, space is cool. Space is very cool. Agreed. And shout out to Dude Perfect. Congratulations. That's pretty yes. cool. They got invited on that. You want to uh, do some quick predictions? Yeah, I think it's time for uh, some World Series predictions here. Game one comes Friday, so foot on the gas here. Mm-hmm. Um, I already kind of hinted I think it's going to be a low-scoring series. That's my prediction. 
Um, I think it'll be decided by the hitters for sure and who can step up and execute in the big moments and adapt to the arms. Yeah. Um, I'm going back to, I'm racking my brain here, talk, thinking about the script that I wrote for our little pregame uh, speech at SoFi Stadium. And I know for a fact I said Cobras in four. And I got to stand by that. Um, and the reason is I just think that we've seen a lot in MLW over the years, just mm-hmm. like the uh, like the storybook endings. And I just feel like for Drew Davis, he's never won before. His team's got the one seed. They yep. won. They beat the Predators, who I thought were going to win it all. They took down my number one team. And yep. um, I don't know. Drew's had a lot of highs, a lot of lows. I feel like mentally he's gotten a lot better this year. Made some good decisions. Made some bad decisions too, but goods have outweighed the bads. And um, I think this is the Cobras year. So Cobras in four. I like it. Um, for my prediction, uh, I went with him in the first round. I went against him in the second round. So I'm going to go back with him again. I got Jimmy Norp wow. and the downtown Diamondbacks. And that's nothing against uh, the Coastal Cobras. I want that on the record. I think that they have um, kind of flown under the radar like for no reason this year. Like They've just been rock solid all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that people have really been hyping them up as much as they should have. They've got two... They've got more than that. They've got three, you know, very, very capable pitchers um, and Gus. And Gus. We've seen what he can do on the mound. Uh, <laughs> Gus is not bad. He's not, he's not bad. That was not sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely swung and missed against Gus before. But um, I just think that the downtown Diamondbacks, you know, recent experience playing to defend their title. Uh, their phenomenal defense that we saw in this past series against the Mallards. I think that'll show up again. And I think it's, you know, kind of like what you said, it's going to come down to execution. I think if, um, you know, you got a picture of the downtown Diamondbacks roster and the Coastal Cobras roster, and you said, you know, which one's going to execute, I think that the uh, the downtown Diamondbacks kind of win that battle in terms of executing at the plate. I think the pitching will be pretty comparable. Like you said, mm-hmm. I, I also think it'll be a pretty, you know, a close series with limited runs, but those, you know, those shots are going to come up big. And I, I just see the, I just see the, see the Diamondbacks getting, getting more hits and home runs than the Cobras. Mm-hmm. So I will give I a, would, um, go ahead. Sorry. I was, uh, I was for, you know, amount of games, I think that, like I said, I think it's going to be close. I guess I'll just go opposite of you because I don't think it'll go five, but I'll okay. go I'll go Diamondbacks in four. I think okay. the Cobras, you know, it's going to be close. I think all the games will be close, and the Cobras will probably steal one because they're, you know, they're a solid team. They're a rock-solid team. So yeah. I could easily see them winning one, one game, but... Um, I got the Diamondbacks. I do, I, do, I do put Drew in that category, especially based on last series, as a guy who can execute in the big moments. Um, he showed that in yeah. game one home run, game three mm-hmm. home run. So he's got that clutch factor. And, um, you know, just playing the Diamondbacks and seeing what Jimmy can do in those moments, like, he's such a good competitor. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I, I got Norped. I hate to say it, but I did. <laughs> and it's really hard to bet against him. It honestly yeah. is. But um, I'm going with my gut, which was the Cobras, and I have to stick with what I... Like, that's what I actually predicted. Like I said, pregame in, in the video. at SoFi. That's yeah. what I said. That's what I thought pregame. So, sticking with it and um, not letting this newest video influence my decision at all and seeing Jimmy dice me up for 14 innings or whatever it was. I don't <laughs> want that to weigh on my mind. So, sticking with the Cobras. 
Um, as always, pipe it up, fans. I'll give you guys some Easter eggs um, about the series. Nothing spoilers, obviously, but a mm-hmm. um, couple things to note for sure is the field is going to be a little bit deeper at SoFi. Not significantly, Ooh. but like five to ten feet deeper. So also kind of unknown prior to playing the series is how is the ball going to fly? You know what I mean? Is the ball going to be limited flight in SoFi in that atmosphere? Is it going to fly farther? Can we know? Kind of unknown. Can we know? Was the dome closed? So that's all open air. So like if it's windy outside, it's like going to be windier in there. Temperatures match outside, that kind of stuff. It's but all, they can close, a, close no, the dome. No, it's fully outside. It's all covered, oh, really? but it's all outside. I can get into that all like once the series wraps okay. up. Jack. We can okay. talk for hours. Okay. We have so much wiffle ball to talk about. Alrighty. But yeah, it's all open air. So um, mm. like the day prior, I kind of tell the air was kind of swirling in there a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects the ball. Um, another Easter egg I wanted to drop for you guys is we are going to see something cool prior to game one starting i don't know if jack even knows what i'm talking about i don't think but so a little a little surprise pre-game game one so be on the lookout for that as well and you heard it here first you heard it here first the loyal hype it up podcast listeners that have made something. it all the way to this part in the episode and speaking of the loyal pipe it up listeners that made it to this part of the episode we have to pick a giveaway we have to pick a giveaway winner oh jack, we do sports jokes yes we yeah. do so let, let's let's uh we're going to go through those right now, and we will bring you guys a winner. we got a lot of great submissions, so thank you to everybody. Okay, Jack and I have reviewed the submissions. There was some great submissions, some not-so-good submissions. A few standouts, <laughs> for sure, that we had to uh, uh, deliberate a bit on. But we appreciate all of them. We appreciate all of them, for sure. Good and bad. Y'all got to start somewhere writing the jokes, right? But this is the one we've decided to go with. Um, the winner is Nigel Bennett. Loyal Pipe It Up fan, must I add. So congratulations, Nigel. Yeah. And here's his joke that apparently his dad used to tell him. The joke is, one day, the devil challenged the Lord to a baseball game. The Lord laughed. Okay, but you realize that we have all the best players, right? We have Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, and Willie Mays. The devil just smiled. Oh, I know. That's all right. We have all the umpires. It's <laughs> pretty good. That's good. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, you don't appreciate a good umpire, but the bad umpires get a lot of flack. So shout out to all the good umpires out there. That's actually true. It's not a very easy position. Not easy um, at all. But there are some bad ones out there. There are some bad umpires. And a lot of great there. ones, but some bad ones. Like I said, you only remember the bad ones. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for the, all the submissions, guys. We appreciate it. There were some other funny umpire ones, too. Some funny basketball ones. There were some about MLW teams, but um, thank you, guys. We appreciate it. So, Nigel, we will send you those MLW trading cards. And other than that, this has been a long episode. Appreciate you guys who tuned in all the way to the end. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you next week after the first game of the World Series at SoFi Stadium. Woo! Thanks, boys.